Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to Show 554. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is. Fine and dandy, yes. Just settling back into the seat after my little week's vacation where myself and my good wife went off to Portugal for the week and it was absolutely gorgeous. <gasps> man, little chunky bunky. <laughs> now I've got to get back on the straight and narrow. Hey, the food, the weather, the people. Honestly, if you ever get a chance to go to Portugal, what a lovely place. Honestly, really nice. We've been before... And we went to Tavera, a little a little coastal town, and it was, you know, it wasn't commercialised by you know tourism or anything like that, but it certainly was just lovely. You know, the restaurants there, the people that had this Mediterranean food festival. <laughs> there you go. What you know what I mean? What else? Every time we went down there, we were just like stuffed with food and slosh. With the wine, with the vino. Oh, man. So, yes, a good time. I hope if you're on holiday or you've been on holiday, you've had a fabulous time as those because it was lovely, honestly. It was one of those just relaxing. Do you know what I mean? Just relaxing and it was just heavenly. So, let us get into the main fiction. Well, actually, not yet. I'll tell you who's coming up. It is E to the H by Alvaro Zainos Amaro. And is narrated by Anthony Babington. That's all coming in today's show. Do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. 
So Patreon was a roller coaster. Man, you know, the beginning of the month they came to take the payment and we had I wasn't expecting Skype Sophia, but we did have two emails prior to the, you know, the, the kind of the payment day on the first. That's when it it all comes out of your accounts and into my little bank account. And prior to that, we had two emails running up to them dates saying there will be some fluctuations. Oh man, do you know what I mean? It just. I'm hoping that they've got the system right. And it seems to be, you know, after a few days, because they did say the the figures and the totals would fluctuate. And we were on, last week, let's just check there, we were on 434. It went down to 411. You know what I mean? It just, like, crashed and burned. And I just kind of sat there, you know, <laughs> as if you've got a bet on. And we're still going to win. We're still going to win. And then it slowly kind of came back where they must be doing something in the background period. But man, do you know what I mean? So last week it was 434. I'm just looking on my little screen there. And this week it is 432. Yes, we went down too. But hey, that's in my eyes, that's went up, man. Oh, but there's lots of kind of turning. So I've got lots of people to say hello to. Because I've been away for that week and we've had ups and downs and all sorts. So Balmore. Big thank you to Balmo. Balmo, that is amazing. Thank you. Sven Hendrik Magtosh Magson. That right? <laughs> Sven, thank you very much, lad. GT. That's all right. I can do that. G. Thank you so much indeed. Travis Champ. Travis, thank you, lad. Hey, always a pleasure. Never a chore. Stuart Finley's. Oh, Stuart might get that one. Eh? You got to do better than that. This one might knock us all. Christina. Kowalskowski, Kowalakowski, Christina, thank you very much, Munro Saunderson, Saunders, should I say, Munro, it's a big honour, sir, to have you there, thank you so much, and last but by no means least, Stephen Howell, Stephen, and I said Steve, Stephen, thank you so much, everyone there, it is an honour to have you on board, Perion, you know what I mean, just simply fantastic, thank you so much. Amazing. So, if you haven't, come over to Perion. Do you know what I mean? Get your, get your finger out, get your credit card out, get on the Perion and support with a little as two euros. <laughs> that's, that's how much the beer was, man. It's still there, two euros. Actually, it was cheap as chips, you know. The wine. Good wife was drinking. What was I drinking? Well, I was drinking. <laughs> I put, someone put in front of us, to be honest. But the wife was drinking the... Rosé wine, which was, like I say, just, you know, we went to Paris, and you can understand city centres, you know, but in Paris, two pints of lager and a pint of Diet Coke was nearly £32. (laughs) Tears as I was drinking that pint. And we went, like I say, Portugal. I think a a bottle of Superbock, which is their local brew, was about 120 something like that, €1.20, a glass of rosé was maybe two euros, maybe a touch less. And, you know, I was, I was on the gins. Yeah, <laughs> mother's ruin. I was supping anything, mind you. Even in this little market, I must say this. This guy, this little guy made these, like, homemade gins. <laughs> Your eyes melted when you did it. You know what I mean? He, he called it tangerine gin. What <laughs> It's just like, ho, ho, you know what I mean? That kind of wins that, oh, she's she's got a bite. 
So there we go. But yes, let, let's get into the main fiction before I kind of wander all over the place here. As mentioned, E to the H by Alvaro Zaino Amaro. Alvaro's book interviews are of interviews with Robert Silverberg, Traveller of Worlds, was a Hugo and Locus Award finalist. Alvaro's more than 30 stories and 100 reviews, essays and interviews have appeared in magazines such as Asimov's Apex, Analog, Lightspeed, Nature, Strange Horizons, Galaxy Edge, whole load of them, and anthologies such as this year's best science fiction and fantasy, 2016, Cyber World Humanity 2.0, and This Way to the End Times. Alvaro has a book review column in Intergalactic Medicine Show and a film review column at Worlds. He edits the Roundtable blog for Locust. The story is narrated by Anthony Babington. Anthony is an expiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. Yeah, there you go for two dollars. <laughs> he has previously recorded for Farfetch'd Fables and The Cursed Inning. You can find him on Twitter. There's a little link there as well. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. E to the H by Alvaro Zenos Amaro Kaku, Alpha Transit, 7.8 years Are you ready? Dad says. I wouldn't want to miss this for the world. He lingers on the threshold of my lab. I could welcome him in. I could tell him that I'm also excited, 
I could share the moment with him. But I don't. I remember it perfectly. Be right there, I said. Distracted by my research, I had a vague notion that the debriefing was still hours away. I changed into fresh coveralls, and Dad and I headed toward Hub 6. You look a little flushed, I said. I might have come down here too fast. His use of the word down wasn't strictly accurate, but I knew what he meant. An over-rapid ascent through the spinning ship's gravity gradient, from his .8G lab to my 1G module. Reminding myself of Dad's sensitivity to matters of age, I decided not to comment further. On the way, we encountered various department heads going in our same direction. Some whispered. Just what this ship needs, Dad said. More gossip. Oh? Dad's eyebrows arched. Seriously? It's impossible to spend five minutes in the bistro hub and not hear the latest speculations. I haven't been eating in the bistro, I said, and left it at that. I'd been munching on energy packs throughout the day, holed up in my lab. Dad looked thoughtful, but didn't say anything. We found a spot in the circular, multi-ring formation around the cavernous hub's center. A few minutes later, Mission Director Max Liwu activated a hologram broadcast from the Euler, one of our four sister ships. A cosmologist named Elia Killick materialized before us. I didn't recognize her which wasn't unusual, considering there were two thousand of us on each of the five ships, and we had worked closely only with our immediate teams during our mission prep years. I glanced at Dad, who leaned forward in anticipation. One week ago, Elia said, as we passed the outer reaches of the Oort cloud, we experienced several momentary glitches in our astrometric sensors. These glitches, we later learned, coincided with a set of DNA translocations revealed by standard medscans. About 15% of our ship's crew seems to have undergone these mutations. The underlying cause of both the equipment glitches and the mutated junk DNA appears to be a radiation field comprised of exotic dark energy unlike any we've detected before. I let Elliot's words sink in. The oiler being slightly ahead of us, must have been the first ship to hit the radiation belt. We on the Kaku would be next. Dad and I exchanged looks. All mutations have occurred in non-functional DNA, Elia continued. They have not interfered with our anti-senescence modifications. The hub let out a collective sigh of relief. On Earth, we'd been genetically engineered to slow our aging and make the 80-year trip to Gliese 832C viable in a single generation. Any tampering with that would have been disastrous, jeopardizing humanity's first extrasolar colony. If you experience any unusual symptoms when your ship crosses the radiation belt, undergo a med scan at once, Elia said. I am now transmitting our research to all personnel. The more brains on this, the better. I activated my coveralls smart ink and scanned Elia's report on my right sleeve. And then everything around me disappeared. Only the report existed. I read Elia's findings a second time. The appendix contained the details of the mutated junk DNA sequence. I stared in disbelief. I tapped into my module's computer, sent it the report, 
and ran one of my customized frequency analyses on the DNA sequence. Elia was still talking, but I could hardly hear her through the blood rush in my ears. The radiation field hasn't affected our laser shields or pulsed ion drives, she was saying when I tuned back in. We are therefore proceeding with our mission. The results of my lab's frequency analysis came back. I blinked. The broadcast passed from Elia to one of the mission executives. Excuse me, I said, raising my hand in my voice. Excuse me! The executive's hologram turned in my direction. We'll take questions privately after we're done here, she said. So if you don't mind, I do mind, I said, and this isn't a question. A hundred eyes were on me in the hub, thousands more via broadcast. Dad tugged gently at my arm, but I ignored him. My name is Eric Hamada, I said, and my specialty is information theory as applied to interspecies communication. I believe that the mutated DNA sequence triggered by the radiation belt, identical in all reported cases, is a Rosetta Stone. The executive frowned. A Rosetta Stone. To decode what? It'll take more work to confirm my hypothesis, I said. But I think it's the key to deciphering our own junk DNA. The executive's face blanched. You're telling us, Mr. Hamada, that humans have been carrying around a coded message inside their DNA for millions of years. I tried to ignore the sarcastic edge in her voice. Yes, precisely. I'm not the first to believe this. Genomic SETI, the search for evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence within the human genome, has been around for over a century. Junk DNA has always been the prime suspect, because it remains unchanged over deep time, making it an excellent storage medium. I swallowed. All of that was, was, was just a theory... Until now. In short, I was correct. But there was a catch. A big one. The Rosetta Stone needed a lot of data to work. Quadrillions of bytes. We could rig nanos with enough power to take a quantum snapshot at that resolution. But the intensity of the scan would kill the volunteer. So, if we wanted to read the encyclopedia inside our genes, the person to crack open the cover was going to die. After six meetings and seven focus groups, we decided that our convoy couldn't make the decision alone, since our actions might affect all of humanity. So we sent a message to Earth. We were 1.6 light-years away which meant that we'd have to wait 3.2 years for a response, if we weren't continuing to move away from Earth. But we were, at about 0.2c, which made our wait time close to 3.9 years. Some people weren't willing to wait that long. Kaku, Alpha Transit, 8.2 years. I received the video call three hours into night shift. The medic on the screen introduced herself as Alicia Treb, from the Atman. A man aboard their ship had commandeered one of the backup medical hubs, 
overridden the safety protocols, and subjected himself to the quantum snapshot. And now he was dead. That's awful, I told Alicia. Was anyone else injured? No, she replied. But we're afraid someone might be. What do you mean? Alicia hugged herself. The snapshot wasn't as effective as our simulations had indicated. We only received a third of the data we were expecting. When people learn of this... Her eyes hardened. That's why our ship's director asked me to speak to you. You want me to decode the third of the message we have and see if I can extrapolate the rest? I'm on it. I reached forward to end the call, but Alicia's demeanor said otherwise. We've run psychological profiles of every crew member to evaluate risks, she said. I'm afraid your father is high on the list, Eric. His recent behavior appears erratic, and he likely knows what happened. He won't answer the general calm, but maybe you can get through to him. Talk to him. Try to reason him out of whatever he's planning. If he's planning anything. Strange to think now that mixed in with my concern for Dad's well-being was shame. Shame on behalf of his actions, and shame on behalf of myself for so readily agreeing that he was potentially unstable. Where is he right now? His last known location was Microhydroponics, Hub 3, Alicia said through pursed lips. Thank you, and good luck. My stomach lurched. That hub had an emergency corridor that linked up with one of the Kaku's medical hubs. I stood up too quickly, dizzying myself, and the world careened around me. I could describe in great detail what happened next, but quite honestly, I don't have the heart. Here's what you need to know. I failed. My dad had initiated a chain of events that resulted in his voluntary death, and I wasn't able to stop him. Sacrifice was a word he used in his brief goodbye note. Because he was among the eldest, he thought he had less to offer our future colony, so he was a logical choice for this. Yeah, right. Ten hours after Dad's death, another self-appointed hero bit the dust. Two more bodies. And two more quantum snapshots. Now we could run the Rosetta Stone. Only problem... I was... numb. Utterly hollowed out. Couldn't bring myself to care about any of it. So I handed over my research and retreated into medication and AI grief therapy. Someone else ended up receiving credit for translating the first confirmed message from extraterrestrials. But I didn't care about that either. Kaku. Alpha Transit. 11.7 years. When Earth's response finally arrived, it proved a terrible joke. Proceed with caution. Kaku. Alpha Transit. 11.9 years. Networks. The message humans have been conveying from one generation to the next, for millions of years, is an enormously complicated manual 
on network connectivity. This is what Dad had died for? The ultimate network primer? The general response, like mine, was one of disappointment. Looking back on it, you might think we should have been giddy. We'd found a message from ETs who had been to Earth. Or landed an advanced probe there. Millions of years ago. But we had so many questions, and no answers seemed forthcoming from the message itself. Kaku, Alpha Transit, 12 years. With the help of an AI therapist, I built up a daily discipline, and even forced myself to socialize. Enter Karya Avery, an expert in quantum entanglement, with whom I hit it off right away. Karia was the most outwardly expressive person I'd ever met, which was particularly comforting at a time when my emotional woes made it hard for me to read others well. Her eternal curiosity led to wonderful conversations, and her indefatigable enthusiasm was contagious. Things between us were going very well, until one night shift when dinner in my module proved weirdly awkward, and I noticed she seemed withdrawn. I asked her about it, and she said everything was fine, so I let it go. But the next day was a repeat performance. Again, she seemed distant, not herself. This time I tried a different approach and scooched closer to her, but her body tensed. Tired? I said. She closed her eyes and let out a long breath. Yeah. How about some music? I dialed up Rachmaninoff, one of her favorites. Wine, maybe? She opened her eyes. Not tonight, she said softly. I got up and cleared the dishes. When I returned, she was still sitting in the same spot. You're sure nothing's wrong? Have you heard the rumors, Eric? My neck seized up. Rumor was one of my least favorite words. Along with hero and sacrifice. No. Well, they're more than rumors. What the hell are you talking about? Yesterday, a sysengineer I know intercepted a message from the mission executive team to Earth. I'm sure there'll be an official announcement soon. Adrenaline coursed through me. What are they saying? A research team aboard the Mikumo has made a breakthrough related to the network primer. They believe its information can be applied to the human brain in a procedure that will enhance our decision-making process. She paused. This could be huge. I thought through it. The network primer dealt in abstract networking units. What if we interpreted those units as neurons? Then all sorts of implications would follow. Implications that the Mikumo team had apparently teased out. Whoever planted the manual in our genes only wanted us to find it when we became capable of leaving our solar system, I said. Karya nodded. Exactly. I wanted to heed caution about this new procedure, but if recent events had taught me anything, it was that it didn't matter what I thought. Someone aboard the five ships would figure out what Karya had told me and take matters into their own hands. I peered into her coal-black eyes, 
Behind her stolid expression, a myriad of emotions darted furtively, like silverfish. Maybe that someone was closer to me than I had imagined. You're in on this, aren't you? I said. You're working with the others to run the experiment. We both know it's just a matter of time, she said. This opportunity will never present itself again. Why let someone else claim the glory? I lowered my head. Sorry, she said, realizing her faux pas. I didn't mean it that way. I don't think any less of you for what happened. When is the procedure being tested? That's when it clicked. The recent changes in her behavior, the detachment with which she was looking at me this instant. It already has, she said. Kaku, Alpha Transit, 12.1 years. The procedure involved stimulating the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, where we simulate events, and Area 10 of Internal Granular Layer 4, where we experience emotions elicited by thoughts of the future. Some scientists believed that this ability to simulate scenarios set humans apart from other species. Well, we'd certainly be different now. Caria was one of seven illicit volunteers. Officially, they were suspended from duty for their reckless behavior, but unofficially their work was analyzed and praised. Caria and the others were tested repeatedly. They had indeed become excellent predictors. The news was sent to Earth. I was granted permission to visit Caria, and approached her module with wariness. When I entered, she regarded me coolly, unapologetically. Matching her gaze, I decided to dispense with small talk. Was I somehow part of your plan? I asked. I liked you, she said simply. That's all. The past tense smarted. I liked you too, Karia. I thought we were a good match. Truth be told, she said, you're a little broken for me, Eric. It was attractive at first, and then not so much. She stretched her arms. We won't be the only ones for long, you know. It took me a second to grasp that we referred to Karia and her enhanced cohort, not the two of us. Do you really believe that after coming this far, people will risk everything to become better at predicting the future? Foretelling the future is a means of shaping the future, she said. And when people catch on, they'll realize they no longer have to fear what's to come. I stopped myself from responding. I could argue with her until I was blue in the face, but I was bound to lose. She had the gift of foresight now a kind of uncanny clairvoyance that I and everyone else who was unenhanced lacked. This difference between us, more than anything else, convinced me our relationship couldn't be salvaged. So began the rift. Kaku. Alpha Transit. 24.6 years. Earth successfully duplicated the procedure, but despite security precautions, knowledge of it leaked and a year later, millions of people had become enhanced. One group believed that by enhancing themselves, they could write the next chapter in the network primer, leading to further enhancements, an exponential progression of the human race, which they dubbed 
E to the H. Meanwhile, Caria's prediction that others would follow came true on the ships as well. Small groups aboard the Euler and the Atman at first, then a dozen more on the other vessels, a hundred more after that. Twelve years after Caria's procedure, the enhanced had become the majority. All throughout, I was in denial. I told myself that as long as we reached Glisa 832C, confirmed as habitable by our high-res data, everything would be fine. We'd settle the planet, and then we could go our separate ways. Wishful thinking. Darl Halera, an unenhanced astrometric specialist, broke the bad news. The Euler and the Atman are drifting off course, he said during one of our regular sessions. I noticed minute course deviations two days ago, but I thought the problem might correct itself. I was wrong. It's getting worse. I had the dubious honor of being meeting leader that day. Aren't there AIs running navigation? I said. No course alterations should be possible without consensus from the Executive Council. Maybe they've reprogrammed their AIs, or convinced the directors to grant permission, said Luan Gisildo, unenhanced gene therapist. But we're too far from other habitable systems. So where the hell are they going? Maybe they don't want to colonize another planet, Luan said. At any rate, their behavior is jeopardizing our mission. Now we'll be forced to seed a world with only three-fifths of our pre-selected genes. I made eye contact with Darl and Luan, then everyone else in the room. We're going to ask them what they're up to. Luan, please take the lead on this one. Also, let's find out if the unenhanced on those two ships were given a say. If not, this is a kidnapping. I assumed my grave words marked the end of the meeting, and we started to disband. But Luann didn't budge. There's something else, she said. Yes? I'm going to be blunt. The enhanced seem to be losing their sex drive. Remote med scans show hormone and neurotransmitter mixes consistent with little to no sexual activity. I remembered Caria shunning my touch. Granted, other emotional factors had been in play, but anecdotally it confirmed Luan's idea. Thanks for bringing this up. Perform more scans and bring us the data. There was a rumble of assent, but I noticed a few folks asking cavalier comments. I called to order. Why should we care about the enhanced sex lives? Someone asked. Think about the implications, Luan said, frustration clipping her words. Sex is not an issue now, but it'll be critical when we arrive at the colony. And we'll start the colony without them, the same individual replied. Maybe, Luann said. Her face twisted and her eyes seemed to implode with concern. But... There's another danger, I said. It must have dawned on us at the same moment. My body suddenly longed for a lower G... If enough of Earth were to become enhanced, I said, humans could eventually die out on our home planet. Our colony would be humanity's last chance. I told myself this was highly unlikely. Just then, Luann tapped at the smart ink on her sleeve and opened her mouth, dumbfounded. 
Latest estimate is that of the 6,000 crew members on the Kaku, the Mikumo, and the Aconcagua, over 5,000 are enhanced, she said. Our last chance may be a pipe dream. Faces became somber and shoulders sagged. The rift had become a divide, cutting us off not only from the enhanced, but severing us from our own continued existence. We contacted the oiler. The enhanced seemed to have been expecting our call. Yes, they replied. Our abilities seem to have created a diminished desire for intimacy. It is difficult to understand how being enhanced will benefit us in the long term if it leads to our extinction. Thus, our goal is to find the DNA scribes who recorded the network primer in our genome. The Euler and the Atman are heading to the Sigma Draconis system, where we believe we will learn more about the scribes. But we want your colony to succeed. All the enhanced aboard the Kaku, the Mikumo, and the Aconcagua will contribute their genetic material to its founding. We will also deploy our shuttles to transport any remaining unenhanced from the Euler and the Atman to your three ships, receiving the same quantity of enhanced in return. And that's what we did. Though the logistics proved a nightmare, during a critical stage of the handoff, one of the shuttles blew its propulsion system. The navigational AI attempted to compensate, but directional adjustments alone couldn't bring it back. Its crew was doomed by the shuttle's momentum. All we could do was watch and listen. An agonizing tragedy. Except that somehow, after several hair-raising days, the propulsion system came back online, and the AI did the rest. It took harrowing weeks of .2C maneuvers to get everyone unenhanced safely on board. Six hundred unenhanced were distributed among our three ships, trading places with six hundred enhanced who took the shuttles back to the two departing ships. This was it, then. Our new family. Sophie. Alpha Transit. Seventy-eight years. We entered the Gliese 832 system in the Constellation Grus, roughly when we had calculated we would. We found that Gliese 832c, the second planet in orbit around the system's red dwarf, could indeed support human life. We landed on it and founded our colony. Everything proved easier than expected. Don't misunderstand, it was still tremendous work. Even armed with our nanos and droids, it took close to three years to make the colony self-sustaining, and eight lives were lost in accidents. Chronic depression and homesickness took 19 more. We had to adjust to an orbital year of only 36 days, and a surface gravity of 1.1 g. But we didn't encounter major hitches. The native biosphere wasn't lethal to us or our microorganisms. There were no higher native life forms to contend with. We constructed biodomes to protect us from the brutal seasonal variations. Tracts of land proved arable. The seas were navigable. And there was an abundance of raw materials. The Enhanced guided us with unwavering confidence and consistent success. Their abilities nagged at me deeply, but I didn't let this get in the way of staying alive. We renamed the planet Sophie, and established five interlinked biodomes joined by a local transport system along the largest continent's coastal region. 
we sent messages to Earth and to the ships en route to Sigma Draconis. The ships replied regularly at first, then only sporadically. During our fifth year on Sophie, they went quiet. As for Earth, we were receiving regular updates from them. Mostly they shared how many more new enhanced there were, though there was talk of resistance pockets, too. Because we were now over sixteen light-years away, though, there was no possibility of real dialogue. Any response to one of our messages would take at least thirty-two years. I was demotivated by the news, and as a communication specialist felt somewhat useless. Each day I awoke on this new world, bathed in the deep red light of its alien sun, and went about my duties with growing apathy. The Enhanced, despite their genetic contributions, made for poor partners and worse parents. As a result, their offspring, who were born unenhanced, were raised by everyone. Each of us became responsible for at least two babies. I myself had two children with two partners, one enhanced and one not, and neither assumed child-rearing responsibilities with me. I suppose that, for couples, the stress of raising this first generation of native Glesians, that is, Sophians, was manageable. In my case, being a single parent nearly broke me. Despite two nanny AIs, the children initially required constant attention, and though I loved them deeply, my life felt like an endless cycle of dreary tasks. I felt ridiculously inadequate and was often overwhelmed. Memories of my dad surfaced at the worst moments. When Agata and Najun turned five and the stress didn't let up, I finally sought help. We didn't have dedicated counselors, but a cadre of enhanced doubled as psychotherapists when needed. I explained my situation to a man named Chow Housel who listened intently to my heaving, confessional monologue. "'I feel better already,' I quipped at the end, feeling purged. "'I'm glad,' he smiled without mirth. "'I'd like us to focus on whatever small, positive changes you think you can make, starting today.' A few ideas popped into my head, but I wasn't ready to discuss them quite yet. I studied Chow's inscrutable eyes. If you don't mind my asking, can you tell me a little about yourself? Sure. Chow proceeded to recap his upbringing in China, his training as an AI engineer, associated certifications in psychology and psychiatry, and how after he had become enhanced aboard the Mikumo, his interest had shifted. It was my fascination with consciousness that led me to quantum mechanics, he said. Huh. I'm not sure I see the connection. Perceiving something not only alters it, but brings it into being, at least on a quantum level. Some of us believe that understanding how consciousness collapses the quantum wave function will yield enormous benefits to the human race. We have formulated an explanation of our enhanced predictive abilities in terms of Planck's constant and the wave function. We call this theory E to the H. I remembered the Earth group. For them, the H had denoted humanity, the E exponential self-improvement. For this group, the H was Planck's constant. Maybe both notions were compatible. 
you're talking about manipulating physical systems by mere thought? I said. As in telekinesis. Magic. No, we already do it. But we're not conscious of it, he said. Like breathing. If you could control it consciously, how far would the abilities go? Could we transform energy and matter with our thoughts? Alter space-time? I was being sarcastic. I was sure he would rebuke me with some law of nature or other. Instead, he said, It's not clear what the upper bounds on such abilities would be. Have you considered making yourself enhanced, Eric? An utterly painless experience. Quite beautiful. His suggestion was a stark reminder of the rift. This man didn't know me at all. I shifted uneasily. No. He must have sensed my discomfort. Very well. Let's get back to why we're here, then, which is to help you. I'm not sure I want to continue, I said. He was quiet for a moment. Then, as though it were an afterthought, he said, What is the thing you most wish for, Eric Hamada? Without wanting to, I pictured Dad in microhydroponics, Hub 3. If only I had spoken the right words. Moved faster. I looked away so Xiao wouldn't see the tears in my eyes. It cost us so much to get here. Yes. He was pensive for a moment, and then said, Despite your skepticism about today's session, I believe things will turn around for you soon. You are incredibly resourceful and resilient. He reached forward to shake my hand, but I declined and walked out. Annoyingly, Xiao proved correct. My life improved almost at once. Was it his vote of confidence in me that turned things around? The fact that I'd released pent-up emotions that had been building up for years, like plaque? Maybe. But the changes seemed too swift, and too specific. Annoyances that I'd thought about, but hadn't shared, disappeared. Everything from the way Nejun stopped chewing on his fingernails to my circadian rhythms suddenly writing themselves. Apparently, others noticed the change in my disposition. One day, while placing my lunch order at the café I usually went to in Dome B, an unenhanced woman behind me said, You look chipper today. I was taken aback. Do I know you? We've been in here together a dozen times, she said, but you're usually scowling and don't seem to notice anything besides your food. I grinned. That bad, huh? After she placed her order, I said, Mind if I join you for lunch? She smiled and accepted, and the meal proceeded in good spirits. Originally from Portugal, and then the Aconcagua, her name was Malika de Cruz, and she worked on environmental chemistry at a lab in my same dome. During the next few weeks, we lunched together semi-frequently. I learned that her husband had become enhanced on the oiler and had decided to stay on it. That's when I realized Malika had been on the malfunctioning shuttle. That must have been intense, I said. 
No kidding. I lowered my voice. Do you ever wonder if the mechanical system coming back to life was more than mechanical happenstance? She furrowed her brow. What else would it be? I'm not sure, I said. Sometimes I have this feeling that the enhanced are behind a lot of things. They may have greater abilities than we know. I told her about my session with Xiao. Maybe they were able to will the repulsion system back online. Certainly your husband would have been motivated. She let out a startled laugh. You really think it's possible? For them to just will things to happen like that? Why don't they will away all our problems, then? Maybe they are, I said. And maybe they have been ever since we arrived. Malika regarded me with a curious expression. You know, sometimes things in my lab are a little strange. Experiments go exactly as planned. Know how rare that should be? Right? For one golden moment, I didn't feel so alone on Sophie. We continued to lunch together, and then sometimes shared dinner as a family. She was raising three youngsters of her own, from two enhanced donors, and our clans seemed to mesh well together. But then something changed. Malika became harder to read, and I found it difficult to talk to her. One day in the cafe, she said, I went to see him. See who? Xiao. What? I wanted to hear it for myself, she said. We had this incredible conversation, Eric. He said there's a new way of becoming enhanced. It just takes a few minutes and is utterly painless. You're considering it, aren't you? She fell silent. I shivered. Fantastic, I said. Just swell. She came closer. We could do it together. That way you wouldn't be left behind. Left behind? Is that what you think this is? I turned around. She called my name, but it didn't stop me from storming out. That night I had trouble sleeping. What if the enhanced could now enhance others merely by willing it? If so, what hope was there for me? I loathed the idea of becoming enhanced. What was the point of predictive prowess or godlike abilities if you lost your humanity, your ability for intimate connection along the way? Of course, I hadn't answered Xiao's question about what I most desired. I thought about it now. What if it were somehow possible to bring someone back from the dead? To pluck their consciousness from the swirls and eddies of space-time and slip it unharmed into the present? What if the only trade-off was becoming enhanced? No, thanks. Sophie, Alpha Transit, 87 years. Egata and Najun grew up, 
giving me more time for... What exactly? I hadn't cultivated any new hobbies, besides listening to vintage stochastic music, and that was a solitary endeavor. I had little interest in sports, though I was approaching my eleventh decade. I could have passed for sixty, and ongoing anti-aging treatments would keep me strong and vital for decades to come. I did some local exploring, but the protocols for going outside the biodomes alone were a hassle. After a while, even the most spectacular magenta seaside sunset bored me. More and more of my unenhanced acquaintances converted, and I did little to keep the relationships going after their changes. I went for long walks, always by myself. Occasionally I'd encounter someone I'd never seen before, and chalked it up to my growing isolationism. It became harder to spot the enhanced, too, as they were no longer patently unemotional, which made me nervous. I also noticed that they had a new, shorthand form of communication, so I was shut out from their conversations. I even heard it said that the Atman and the Euler had sent us a message, but it was only intelligible to enhanced brains. As I spiraled inward, I began to feel that the superficial pleasantness of the people I encountered was the pleasantness one shows in endangered species. Look how cute, they must have thought, and how soon to be extinct. Sophie, Alpha Transit, 88 years. One day I bumped into Malika again. I suppose it was inevitable. I had anticipated that any encounter with her would be awkward, but somehow it wasn't. She had become enhanced, and she had married another enhanced, whatever that meant. She expressed genuine caring for me during our brief exchange, and invited me to join her and her husband for dinner that night. I declined, but some niggling sense of social responsibility made me change my mind five minutes later. A few hours of diversion would be nice, and I might as well form alliances with select enhanceds, if I could. That night, the conversation and wine flowed easily, and for the first time I saw an enhanced laugh. Whatever you guys are doing, I said, it's working. You seem to be enjoying yourselves a lot more than others of your ilk. Malika's husband, Reykdal, placed his hand on her shoulder. As more of us who were previously unenhanced have joined the fold, he said, we're striving for a new balance. For an instant, I thought I caught a glimmer of hidden stiffness in his face, and then hers, as though this whole thing had been rehearsed for my benefit. My knees weakened. And then it all passed. I relaxed felt a kind of warm inner glow take over, and slid back into our casual groove. By the time we finished dessert, I noticed myself yawning. Apparently I'm not the spry cat I used to be, I said and chuckled. Need a shuttle? Rakedal asked. Nah, I'm not far. Molika stepped forward and we hugged briefly. I'm glad you accepted our invitation, she said. Me too. Despite how well things had gone, I wasn't ready to commit to another social call. 
so I left it at that and stepped into the night. As I walked home, I remember thinking that the sky had a preternatural glow to it, beautiful and reassuring to behold. Sophie, Beta Transit, 88 Years That night my sleep was unusually deep and restorative. A deep-seated sense of peace engulfed me before going to bed, and it was still with me as I rose and completed my morning ablutions, ate an energy bar on my way to the lab, and began the day's work. It's been with me for the last several hours, growing in intensity all the while, and even now it shows no signs of abating. At this very moment, the joy of my composure feels surreal, complete. I'm smiling for no reason. I can't stop thinking that everything is going to be okay, no matter what happens. The scribes have given us a great gift, and it's up to us to use it wisely. We will. If they're still alive, we'll find them. And maybe we'll encounter more of their handiwork scattered among the stars. Being distrustful and negative all the time, as I was, being constantly on guard and expecting the worst outcome, it was exhausting. This. This is much better. Mid-morning, the comm lets me know that in a few hours, the colony's executive council will share exciting news regarding the Atman and the Euler. I can't wait to hear it. In the meantime, I continue with my day's work, elated, committed, completely focused. Until a familiar, an utterly impossible voice calls out to me. Are you ready? Dad says. I wouldn't want to miss this for the world. He lingers on the threshold of my lab. I could welcome him in. I could tell him that I am also excited. I could share the moment with him. And so I do. And there you go. Gentlemen, a huge thank you. Alvaro, thank you so much, sir. Thank you indeed to interview Silverberg. Man, I've done it a couple of times, just over, you know, on the airwave sort of thing. And just he's... He's a gent, do you know what I mean? He's just one of the kind of the old greats there, but just, you've got to have so much respect for him, man. He's just a great guy. And Anthony, marvellous. Uh, more of them, please, if you don't mind. More of them. Thank you so much. So that is it, yes. I'm still trying to dry out from Portugal. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to take myself a week, a week off the drink there, you know what I mean? Try and eat healthy now. Get it from the allotment. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Can you reach me? Is
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.